1: Thank you for joining us.
0: Hello, everybody, and thank you, thank you, thank you to all of our listeners who are listening right this very minute, and thank you to all of those listeners who will be listening later on. What we do here on the Pure Hope Show is that we archive all of our programs, and they're able to be listened to at any moment, anywhere, and any place. So if you are a live listener today, first of all, we thank you. And secondly, if you're hearing some good stuff today honor program and you think oh my gosh i wish my friend uh, harry would have been listening or sally would have been listening well the good news is is that it will be archived uh, under our uh, www.hopeinterfaithcenter.com to get on our Facebook, and there's a place there where you just press a button and you'll get this program to your friends. So first and foremost, I want to tell everyone that there is a power within you that is so incredibly important. And using that power within is what lightworkers and beings from all over the world, they only need to use and follow their own inner guidance, which can be called their intuition, the wisdom within, the feeling of excitement or feeling your spirit or heart speak to you. The trouble is, is lots of times we don't do that 100% of the time. We don't do it without reservation, and we don't do it with total faith or trust. That there's sometimes a blockage, sometimes there's trauma that has happened in our life. And so this particular program is going to be about hypnosis and how we can walk through or break through those uh, blockages or traumas that has happened into you that you feel that you just don't follow your intuition or the guidance of your heart in in all ways. And Kelly Meiser is on our program today, and I'm just going to tell you a little bit about Kelly. Kelly Meisner has spent the last 20 years studying all she can about psychology, spirituality, and self-development. She has learned many ways to manage her mind, her emotions, and the nervous system with a combination of things such as spiritual practices as well as clinical evidence-based techniques that have proven very, very effective. As a licensed marriage and family therapist, she has worked with thousands of clients over the past 12 years. Since she has been utilizing hypnotherapy, because that's what we're going to talk about in her mental health practice, she has witnessed incredible changes within her clients, and she was never able to facilitate that with just simply talk therapy alone. She became a certified hypnotherapist by the National Guild of Hypnotherapists in 2016 and has extensive clinical hypnosis training through the Minnesota Society of Clinical Hypnosis. In total, she has 207 hours of education, training in various hypnotherapy uh, methods. She helps people unlock unblock and connect with their unconscious wisdom. Hypnotherapy opens the mind to the higher dimensions of the inner knowing. This increases self-awareness, self-manageability, self-compassion. Hypnotherapy is different because it guides you through a process that leads you to finding and unlocking your own answers. Ultimately, your healing will come and does come from within you. And you all know this. But if you struggle to access that place on your own, Ms. Kelly Meisner can help you. Hi, Kelly. She's on the air right now. Hi, Kelly. How are you? Hi, Hope. It's so good to be here. I'm good. I'm excited.
1: And I'm good. happy to, good. Get to be here to talk about hypnosis.
0: Good good, good well, I wanted the first question I wanted to ask you is that hypnotherapy it, it used to kind of be kind of almost spooky or enter, or used mm-hmm. for entertainment uh and not quite known as a therapeutic way to get through blockages and trauma. How did you? get to get to this point of wanting to study and become certified in hypnotherapy
1: yes yes you're you're right it's it's just got that um kind of taboo and there's a reason for all of that as well um so how i ended up on this path i i never would have known it you know, we, we kind of, we think we know it all and we don't. And um, I it's kind of coincidence and all the things. Um, really, how I ended up here was just my own just lifelong journey of working on overcoming my own stuff. Um, I, like most, had, you know, and, and I think maybe a lot of people who, who listen to this show and Um, you know, are familiar with You Hope, probably are very open and sensitive type people. And so, you know, here I was, like most, just a very kind of open, empathic, very sensitive little girl, um, raised in a home that, you know, I I knew fundamentally that they loved me. Um, But my parents had their own you know, their own unresolved traumas that they inherited from, you know, and it just goes back just ancestrally. We don't know how far. I think scientifically it's been shown up to seven generations um, trauma can be passed down. And not only is it passed down and encoded in our DNA. Yeah, go ahead.
0: Well, no, I I was kind of surprised that in seven generations that's been proven that Yeah, so just
1: from studying, yeah, from um, studying genetics, um, it has been shown that, um, so, and it's probably more, I mean, really, if you think about how we just evolved as as a species in general, but, um, so, yeah, it's kind of like some people will say, you know, I have, like, I'm scared of heights and I don't know why, or maybe why we've got phobias and things like that. Well, if it's great, 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 great grandpa fell off a cliff. Then you know it was that was a trauma, and those children pass that down. That heights are dangerous, and not only is it encoded in our DNA, but it's also taught and learned and through conditioning that be careful around heights, be careful around heights. There's always anxiety and fear around heights that the the next subsequent generation passed down to the next and the next and the next, and so um, you know we've just all got this, and so that's all subconscious. We don't know this, and so we've got these kind of traumas and you know my my parents you know did the best that they could and they didn't have awareness or um, information to you know unlock kind of their stuff and work on their own stuff and so then they had children before they had kind of reached any type of enlightenment of their own which they you know unfortunately still haven't which a lot of our parents are that way but that's you know that's neither here nor there i don't blame them anymore um but i probably certainly did as a kiddo when if they weren't able to like i would ask big questions when i was really little i would ask like what happens to us when we die why do these bad things happen what why does this happen why does the world do this i would question and ask um about you know Just anything, things that I learned in religion that didn't make sense to me. And I really think that that made them feel uncomfortable. They didn't know how to answer those questions. And instead of having that realization, it would sort of be like, don't ask those questions. What's wrong with you that you would ask those questions? And You know, I mean, those types of little traumas, I call that. It's You know, trauma is a big word. And we use that word it's a big buzzword and so we think of trauma as you know a clearly um big abuse or accident of some sort that death that happens to a loved one and so we know that that's like a big trauma but you know we also call like there's no other word to describe this huge umbrella of things if we all have trauma then do any of us have trauma and what does that even mean so they say there's big traumas and then there's like little traumas of kind of small, maybe like emotional neglect, um, and, you know, just sort of just being like misunderstood, being rejected as a kiddo where maybe it wasn't some huge major abusive type trauma. And then there's also trauma that happens to us when things we, that don't happen to us in our life. For example, you know, if our parent doesn't tell us they're proud of us and they don't they kind of it's like a it's just more of a neglect a, like emotional neglect as well so what happens to us just as we grow up and what happened to me was that I just began to sort of just think or feel like something must be wrong with me you know if my parents don't even like to talk to me about this stuff or there's something wrong with me for asking these questions or the way that I am is uh, it's it's too big it's too much it's annoying people don't like it they don't want to talk about those things or uh, you know i just over time just started to feel like there must be something wrong with me i'm not i'm not understood i feel rejected i'm not good enough you know kind of that thing that happens to most of us at some point in our life so I grew up pretty depressed, unhappy, very anxious, very nervous, um, felt like I couldn't do anything right kind of a thing. And then um, as I got older, um, just kind of had a couple of random things that happened that really kind of like put me on a path to like self-destruction and then, and very much codependent. I'm always sort of looking for a partner to fulfill this emptiness that I felt within myself and Eventually, like a lot of people do, I came to kind of a rock bottom that um, I realized I have to figure this thing out going on within me. I have to figure out why not only does it feel like nobody else loves me, but why don't I love myself? And how do I do that and how do I find and connect with what is going on inside of me? and then, you know, really once I started honestly on that path where I really started doing work such as, like, reading self-help books, seeking out and doing kind of um, therapies. I think I don't know how I ended up shortly after I got on this path. You know, there's this saying that says, once you start on the path, the path shows itself to you or the path emerges. And I want to say it was shortly into that path that I was given um, your information hope and how i ended up at the hope interface center and really doing a lot of study and um counseling and work and self-reflection from the hope interface center and that was probably 20 years ago like we said so Mm -hmm. i then so then i think you maybe probably were the one who like really encouraged me when i was like well i think i maybe want to go back to school and be a counselor and i think you said absolutely and you know and so um i went back to um my undergrad didn't really work out and then I went back to um, grad school and um, for mental health counseling and got my marriage and family licensed, did all kind of all the things all jumped all the hoops, did all the things and started doing, being a therapist um, formally you know, um, working kind of in the system and working under insurance and having like kind of people coming and going every hour and yes, I it, it was helpful, but I knew something wasn't quite right. Like I just felt like in that short amount of time, the message and in the, in the issues that I wanted to get to with people. And I haven't even really completely worked through all of it, my own self as well. Um, and so I couldn't only, I, you know, you can only help people to as far as you've helped yourself as well. So a few years into um, working as a counselor, I, I just, felt like I needed to kind of do something else and I just happened to needed I needed to do a training I think I needed to get some hours in by the end of the year or something like that and ended up um, at I just I found a hypnosis training that was like kind of an intro to hypnosis and um, I was like well it sounds interesting I don't know anything about it and I went to the training and actually was like really intrigued. And then when I really looked into hypnosis, it's uh, um, getting certified is like a hundred hour um, course, like through the National Guild of Hypnosis is where I did it from. It's like a hundred hours of training. Um, And so I decided that I wanted to get it done before I was going to kind of go through the whole thing of like getting certified to make sure that I felt like it was legit and that, you know, what is this even? And so I had gone to someone um, and gotten it done and had kind of several sessions. And it was like, I think just the breakthrough of what I realized about my childhood and feeling not good enough and that I sort of gave all that power to, the other people in my life to determine if I was good enough or if I was worthy and what I realized was that little me was just confused she just didn't know she just I was just trying to make it make sense you know I was just trying to say well if they don't want to hear what I have to say it must not be interesting I must not be lovable I must not be good enough if they don't want to hear what I have to say but none of that was even true it wasn't that I wasn't good enough and that I wasn't lovable it was that the things that I said to my parents triggered them and they didn't know how to handle it or they didn't know how to kind of deal what was going on within them. And so how they would respond to me would just, you know, it, it wasn't ever intentional or malicious. Now I understand some caregivers do do things to people that are intentional and malicious and hurtful. And so that's kind of another story as well. But I just realized it, it was just, it was a, a tapping into a deep place within myself of just this is never my fault and I am okay and I am good enough. And not only just thinking it and knowing it intellectually, but really feeling it and believing it and knowing it in the depths of my soul that I am a good person. And so I just thought it was a miraculous and amazing. And I just wanted to know everything that I could about it and learn everything that I could about it and use it to help people just in a really fast way as well. Not only just not talking in therapy for years and years and years, but doing a handful of these sessions and like just having incredible breakthroughs, um, is just kind of been my experience. And so it, it was amazing for me. And then ever since I've been doing it since about 2016, um, it has just been so super successful and yeah.
0: So that's, that's where I am, and that's how I got here today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you sound very passionate, and I believe in this because, as we talked before earlier, that I do a technique called rapid therapy transformation, and that's also a way of hypnosis and guiding people down uh, into, um, into their unconsciousness and connect. Now, what I call the unconscious... Or connecting to that wisdom is pure spirit and the power of that pure spirit is our inner wisdom of knowing our magnificence and our connection to creators so when I read your bio and it says I help people unlock and connect with their unconscious wisdom and that hypnotherapy opens the mind to the higher dimensions of an inner knowing so is, is that to you the same definition, the pure spirit of consciousness within them that is their intuition, that is their true knowing, that is their magnificence? Would you call that the unconscious? Yeah, I, I would. Um,
1: now, you know, you could ask different different hypnotists and they they might think it's something different It's maybe a belief system but i i mean for me it, the best definition that makes most sense for me is that it's essentially connecting to our soul you know our 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 higher um inner being that is connected to all knowing and um you know and it's it's also just um i mean it, it there's just scientifically like it's a brainwave state it's um, kind of just backing up a little bit, just about kind of the science of it. Is that, um, you know, thank God for like EEGs and whatnot that we can like kind of see it visually and and document what is going on in the brain, versus you know our ancestors who didn't who just took this stuff on faith because hypnosis has been around for thousands of years, like many other treatments. Um, But now it's being sort of scientifically proven of what's actually going on in the brain when we're doing it. And it's basically like the state of mind that we're in right now, which is just kind of like the normal waking state when our conscious mind is doing the work, we're thinking, we're talking, is um, like called like theta brainwave state. And then there's alpha, which is like when we're really, really relaxed. Um, when even like if they call it highway hypnosis, if you're driving and it's a path you've taken so many times and your kind of mind wanders somewhere else, but like your subconscious still does the driving and gets you where you want to go and you didn't even consciously think about making that left turn or that right turn, kind of just how the mind works. Um, so there's alpha is like also just when you're really relaxed, very tranquil. Um, and then theta is when we are sleeping like when we're dreaming and then there's Delta, which is like the deepest when you're in like deep, deep sleep. And what this research has shown is that when a person is in hypnosis, they are basically access that theta state, which is the state you're in when we're dreaming. But what the trick is about hypnosis is that you're actually consciously awake still. So, you know, what you're doing and you're kind of actually controlling the dream in a way and what that does is like that's how it's kind of doing that rapid reprogramming in the brain it's about kind of making like using your conscious mind and really connecting to that subconscious where in beta right here right now in this weight waking state we can say oh yeah I, i consciously understand that i i intuitively like i know that i know that to be true but like but I don't believe it. Or I don't really feel it. Like I don't know how to how to, I don't know how to change it within me. Where a person says, you know, I don't really do much as far as quitting smoking, but it has been really successful with helping people quit smoking. But a person says, I really want to quit smoking. I know intellectually that it's bad for me. I know it's not good for my health. I don't want to do it. And then they say I'm gonna quit. I'm never gonna have another cigarette again and they believe that and they really want that. And then something happens down the road where they get stressed and all of a sudden the instant habit, that kind of subconscious programming says you're stressed out, you need the cigarette to make you feel better. And now all of a sudden the person has the craving and wants to have the cigarette and feels like they need to have the cigarette. Well, like what hypnosis does is helps with changing that, that automatic thing that says you need the cigarette now to help you. Instead it's, um, you know, you don't, need to, you don't need it. What's really going on is this. And it's, it's just kind of helping clearing up these faulty beliefs that we learn when we're younger. And we don't, I don't know if it's really what's learned. And also just we come up with these faulty beliefs as children just to make things make sense, that if my parent ignores me, it must be because they don't love me. If my dad has anger, it must be because I am bad. And so we don't realize as kids that this, we can't possibly understand where our parents or caregivers or, you know, a lot of times it happens like with bullies at school, kids will get bullied. And then they think, well, if the other kids at school don't like me, it must be because I'm unlovable. I'm not good enough. And then we just believe this to be true because it made sense to explain other people's behavior crappy behavior towards us and instead of us realizing oh that person has their own trauma that they are just acting out towards me no we we in turn instead say a little kid says oh they must be doing it because I'm not good enough and then we just believe that and we don't even question it and then we just continue to operate throughout our and that's kind of what we needed for to get through our childhood that was a way of coping and they, it, it got our parent if that we thought that then it just smoothed everything over. It was kind of a homeostasis throughout childhood, and then we got through childhood. But then what happens is, is we all get into adulthood now and find out very quickly that that way of operating does not work very well. It does not get us very far if we think that we are not good enough. But yet we know we are. We kind of know it on the intellectual level, but deep down we don't, we don't feel it. We don't, can't access it. Um, And so I kind of bounced all over, I realized, and and that is probably going to be how I do this. I just want to be straightforward about this. And I want to also just say, like, I don't know it all. I can't. Nobody can possibly know this all. All I know is the studying that I've done, the training that I've done, and for the last eight years, six, eight years, what has it been? Six years that I've done this, like the people that I've seen and the patterns that I've seen and just what my experience has been and so you ask a different person who does hypnosis and they might give you a completely different answer and they do it a completely different way because you know as you were mentioning like rapid transformational therapy that's one way to do hypnosis there's a quantum healing hypnosis technique which is like um super deep where they have a person in hypnosis for like hours and hours at a time and go, go very, very deep. There is like regression hypnosis where that's a lot of what I do, which is really going back and finding where as a child, we develop these faulty beliefs about ourselves and cleaning that up. Um, There's past life regression. There's like basic hypnosis where they just kind of do suggestions, meaning like you don't, you don't need to smoke cigarettes because you like to breathe fresh air and you want to be able to go running and you can manage, you know, so kind of putting a suggestion. Because the thing about mm-hmm. hypnosis in that, other, in that theta brain state, we are open to, to suggestion. We are much more open to hearing something and believing it versus when we're in the beta brainwave state, we can say all these things and a person goes, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, but doesn't really like actually internal, like believe it. Where in theta, if Mm -hmm. you tell yourself, I am good enough, your subconscious goes, oh, okay. And it's like, because there's a connection in that, in that, in the, it's called trance in some. Um, you know, fields, and I don't know, trance kind of makes it seem spooky, like we had said earlier. It's really like a like reverie. It's like really in that state of daydream. The way that I do it, people know exactly what they're doing. They're not sleeping. They're not unconscious. They know exactly where they are and what they're doing. And so they're very aware, but it's about connecting the conscious mind and the subconscious mind and using your conscious mind to tell your subconscious mind, oh, wait a second, that wasn't your fault you're okay. I love you. And then the subconscious says, Oh yeah, no, we're okay. I'm good. And it's like this kind of very healing um, um, way. So um, yeah, going back, like there's tons of different ways to do hypnosis. There's like, um, you know, there's an attachment theory where some say that there's like when we have a trauma, our energy gets fragmented and part of our energy kind of we lose energy and it gets stuck on somebody else like if if somebody breaks up with us we feel like a missing piece of ourselves is now with that person or um, so like our um, or other people's energy is kind of getting stuck on us or us taking on other people's energies and so that's about kind of clearing your energy field Um, there's like a between lives hypnosis where you go to your now, this is a belief system, and it doesn't matter what, what people believe. I'm not here to change or have people tell people what to believe. Um, that's, everybody has their own right to believe whatever they want to believe. I'm just saying that. These are just different types. So they would have a person go back to a past life, and then in, but after that, they die in that past life, the most recent past life, and they die. Then going into sort of the in-between of where you're planning for this life so you can get information as to why did you choose a family? Why did you, what is your purpose here? What, how are you doing so far? You know, um, that kind of thing. So there's, there's that. Um, there's hypnosis is now being used to access a, is Akashic records. I want to make sure I'm saying that right. Or kind of that same, like in-between lives of like connecting to our, um, like that deep spiritual information And so hypnosis is being used to access our Akashic records. Um, And then it's also, as you know, it's even on the stage to make people dance like a chicken and act goofy. (laughs) Um, And so that's, and that's kind of where it got, it looks like it's fake and phony. And, um, and so we can spend time talking about that, or um, we can, you know, we can kind of talk, maybe I should just briefly say about how it's become taboo um, is that, a huge piece of it is that it was, there was a movie made about it in the 1950s, like in the 1920s and 30s when like Freud um, and um, Milton Erickson was kind of the founder of hypnosis. He, oh, I think he was born with, oh, and I, I don't want to mess it up, but I think it's some kind of an Ill, uh, injury, maybe maybe like polio or something like that, where a little kiddo, he could not walk. He was bedridden and they basically said he will die And that's it. So he said, Mom, will you just wheel me over to the window so I can at least watch the other kids play? And as he was in his wheelchair watching the other kids play, he would imagine that he was down there running and playing with the kids. And so day after day after day after day, he imagined being down and running and playing with the kids. And what happened is, is over time, he began to be able to stand up and walk again. Because Hmm. the mind doesn't know what you're telling it is actually happening or not. It's kind of like the work of Joe Dispenza, how he is saying about when we think the same thought that we used to think, it's as if we're just living in the past. But when you imagine and think of yourself doing the thing that you want over and over and over, the brain doesn't know that you're not actually doing it. And it says, oh, okay, that's what we're doing. And so he, so Erickson began to walk again, and then he spent his whole life studying this, concept of like hypnosis and um and so yes so again i don't know how i kind of digressed to that one oh because i wanted to talk about the taboo so then once hypnosis got really big like freud was using it um like all these big psychologists were using it in the 30 20s and 30s and once they realized it was super super powerful um there's there's just i don't know if it's really true or not about how if it was used during war to like brainwash people um, or like to get people to do things or that kind of a thing. And so then this movie, the, the Manchurian Candidate, sorry, I'm pro- I don't know if I'm saying that correctly. It was actually just redone a couple years ago, but this movie was originally done in like the 1950s and that became pop culture's view of what hypnosis was, that it was sort of this evil, bad people using it to con- mind control other people. And I mean, mm. all I have to say about that is, you know, any powerful tool could probably be used for good or evil. You know, a, a queen can be benevolent or a dictator. So we can use it, you know, for, for good or bad, I guess. And because that's people's biggest fear is of being brainwashed or being like out of control. Also, there's like a couple passages out of the Bible that have been taken to mean like, um, I can't. I don't quote it. I can't remember what it is, but it's something along the lines of not allowing like a sorcerer to like control your mind and not being controlled by, um, you know, psychics or something like that. And so that's been misconstrued and you said that that's hypnosis. And so a lot of religions um, will not, not a lot, but some religions will absolutely think that hypnosis is a, like a, a tool for evil. And, sure. All I can say is, if if a person's going to use any tools, there's many, many tools. And if somebody's going to use a tool for evil, I mean that I can't control that. What all I know is that I am an ethical human being with <laughs> had a lot of training, and is is my my mission is for love and for healing and for helping us all kind of work through like how hard this life is anyway, and to to use this tool to help and to heal. And so, um, again, I'm not about trying to change people's beliefs or whatever. People can believe whatever they want. Um, I just know that I am not using this in the two hours that you're in my office. I'm not using it for sorcery to brainwash you, to get you to, for my benefit somehow. It's, um, it's just, that's simply not the case. Um, how, so yeah, How so long I'm, are your sessions? kind of rambling. <laughs> that's okay, how I long are your do, sessions? Yes. Yes. So I do two hour sessions. Um, that's just, it's a really, that's just for me, that's a perfect amount of time because I need, we certainly need more than an hour, but I think once it gets past a two hour mark, it starts to get kind of draining or too long. And so again, different therapists would do it differently. Um, what I have found that works for me is that I do two hour sessions and I, and like, Nothing is a one and done. And so although people have very, like, significant results after one session, I always encourage people to be willing to do more than just one session because, I mean, we got so much stuff that, um, you know, doing another session, doing a few sessions, and everybody's different of how many they want or how many they need or how long it will take. It's really just kind of where you're at with your journey of what do you need and what do you want and how far, how deep do you want to go and how much money do you want to spend and all those questions. And so, um, I'll do, typically I see people kind of every other week. Um, and on average I would say hypnotherapy sessions are probably, I probably do on average about five sessions total and then the person will go away for a while they'll kind of be fine they'll do their thing and then like a year later I'll hear from them again and they want to work on a new issue or you know they're kind of ready to deal with this thing that came up last time and so
0: um yeah
1: so sessions are about two hours and
0: then like I said yeah go ahead so when they're under Kelly do when they meet the little girl or they meet the little boy that's magnificent and perfect from the source of which they came from, do you encourage them, or do they say something at that moment, like, "Oh my God, I, 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 I wasn't a loser"? Do they begin, or do you coach them into what would you like to say to the little girl now? Or,
1: um, yep, yep, those are all um, different kinds of um, um, like techniques. Or and and it, so yep, it's definitely dependent on the situation. Um, but a lot of times, once it's um, the person, you know, they're coming in for for this particular issue, whatever it is, it's feeling not good enough, or depression, or feeling unworthy or unlovable, or feeling codependent and wanting other people always in their lives, and and so then the way that I kind of walk them through the process, um, kind of getting them into the state of hypnosis first by doing a series of just like relaxation and not only relaxation, but also like visualization of like being in a very peaceful place where like if you can invoke all five senses, it really, again, it kind of tricks the brain into just thinking like, well, this is just what we're doing. So like, like imagining like what is, Being in a beautiful place in nature and seeing the colors, hearing the sounds, smelling the scents, it really just kind of puts you in this deep place kind of within yourself. And then that's tapping into that kind of theta brainwave state. It's like being in that dream state. And then once they're kind of in that state, then um, I walk them through kind of techniques about sort of finding these instances in early childhood that are replicating this feeling right now that they're having or the blockage that they're having. And then they sort of uncover that. And what we do, what I do is when I, when we uncover that moment and I ask that little part of them, like, well, what are you thinking? You know, and they say, I'm not good enough. And um, then I say, you know, how are, how are you feeling? How are you thinking? And then they'll always say basically somewhere along the lines of like, something's wrong with me. I'm not good enough. They must not love me, something like that. And so then what happens is then I'll sort of just ask that part's permission for some help in a moment, and then making sure that part gives permission, and then I just kind of have that younger part just pause. And then then this is kind of always the kicker. Then I'll have the person, I'll say, you know what, let me talk to you so-and-so, like as your 40-year-old self, you know just kind of bring yourself back to here and now all of a sudden like that's the moment that they realize like holy something i just tapped into something here and i'll ask their 40 year old self who's sitting in my chair in the office and say you know that sweet little eight-year-old was, was she she says she wasn't good enough and that that was her fault is that actually true And the forty year old be like, No, that was not true at all. That was not her fault and and it always it's just almost like this like awakening and realization. As soon as I sort of like reflect back to them what that younger part says, but where the problem is is in their in their mind, there's that four year old part is stored as if it has something wrong with it. And so there's a piece of her in there or him that thinks this four-year-old self thought, well, something's wrong with me. And so that's where then I have them make the connection for the, to their current, like, 40-year-old self or however old they are, have them connect then with that eight-year-old self or however old the part that comes up, and talk to them and, and, edu- and like, say, oh, I understand validate. I see why you looked at it that way at the time, but the truth is, is that's actually not the case. The case is, is that, you know, mom had her own stuff. Mom had to work all the time because she had to pay the bills. It wasn't because she didn't want to be around you or was ignoring you. You are good enough. You are loved. And fundamentally what is happening here is like a self-compassion. It is us turning towards our pain and saying, Oh my gosh, I love you. Like, you didn't do anything wrong. You are not a bad person. You are good. I'm so sorry that you are going through this. And, and just really about changing that perspective of ourself when we were, that is stored in there from when we were eight, and changing that faulty belief from saying, I'm not good enough, to that was not my fault. Now I see why mom did that. And so, and so forgiveness is a huge piece of this as well, and sort of like not blaming our caregivers or whoever kind of was a part of this. And so, I mean, it's really beautiful. Like it really very much does like a mirroring of like and a marriage of like, you know, the Buddhist concept of inner child work and inner child healing and self-compassion. And so it's normally we would have this crappy feeling and it's just a little part of us that's being our younger self is being triggered that says you're not good enough. See, so-and-so doesn't like you, so you're not good enough. And now I'm triggered and feel insecure and not feel good enough. Or normally we would turn towards ourselves. And say, God, what the heck's wrong with me? Why can't I figure this out? And what is? Why doesn't anybody like me? And what's wrong with him? And what's wrong with her? And if they would just stop doing that, then I'd be okay. Well, <laughs> that's powerlessness. That's victimhood. That doesn't get us anywhere. What real real healing comes from self compassion, like kind of Buddhist technique of turning towards the fear turning towards the pain and saying, oh, honey, like that's just little me is triggered right now. I'm so sorry that you went through this when you were little and that you felt this way. But the truth is, is you are good. You, you, you're going, you're just a human being, you know. So it's learning how, our, how to heal our relationship with ourself. Instead of having this war going on inside of ourselves that we're trying to fight and stop and make this pain go away and eradicate it, you can't. The only, and if you, trust me, we want to look at our society. How much we numb with alcohol, drugs, food, work. We just want to avoid, like scrolling, just TV, like anything to make this shit stop. But I, I have not found any way to make it stop other than to actually face it and to turn towards it and to meet it with love and compassion but it's really hard to do because people feel like they don't love themselves. They don't, they don't really believe that they love themselves, but it's a practice. It's a, if you can learn to love four year old little you who didn't do a damn thing wrong, that's how you start this process on a journey of self-love. It's a, it's a practice. It's, we just all think we're going to wake up one day and be, and be confident. We just want to wake up one day and just have self-esteem and just be happy but unfortunately, it, just, it doesn't really work that way. It's a practice. It's, we have to learn how do, we, how do we converse with our own selves in our mind and talk to ourselves with love and respect and self-compassion. But it's really hard to do when we're used to hearing, well, what the hell's wrong with you? Because that's what we heard when we were little. So that's how we thought we were supposed to talk to ourselves. So we're so hard on ourselves when we're struggling, which only actually makes us worse.
0: So is there any scientific proof, you know, like Dr., you and I are both, and many people are um, engaged in Dr. Joe Dispenza's way uh, of how he does it. So is there any proof that through hypnotherapy and through the process that you're taking them through, that they're either growing or rerouting a new neural pathway in the brain?
1: yes that's yeah like i said thank goodness for eegs and the, all the brain technology now and brain scans and brain science that um they are showing that when a person and it's really also to be honest i mean it's if, if in a person if a person is in a deep state of meditation as well so a person can do this themselves it's about kind of getting past that that beta brainwaves the conscious mind that's judging and analyzing everything and getting to that deeper state of that that inner truth that inner knowing and um so they've hooked people up to all the brain scans and whatnot and done all these different types of um so not only is there hypnosis you know doing it the way and i don't exactly know what joe dispense is doing I, I know like i mean my idea, because I've never done it, I've always been intrigued or want to go to one of his retreats, but I'm, he's teaching people essentially how to meditate and how to get into that state. And so um, it's once you bypass that, that conscious mind and get into that theta brainwave state, then it's about how you are kind of interacting with yourself. And so I think what Joe is doing, too, Joe Dispenza, is, like, he'll have them imagining that they're doing the thing that they want to be doing. And a lot of people have, like, really miraculous healings and sort of, like, I mean, he's got documented cases of people who come in blind who will leave and can see. And people who have, like, stage 4 cancers and leave there cancer-free. I mean, so it's about tapping into that place in the brain that affects us at the molecular level in our body and and kind of dissolves pain so it works tremendously for all kinds of body stuff like pain um ibs it's quickly hypnosis quickly becoming like a top treatment for um irritable bowel syndrome because it has a lot to do with Hmm. stress as well and how that affects our um our digestion um so yeah so i mean you know there's this saying that says the subconscious mind makes the heartbeat so if there's something going on in the body Hypnosis is super effective for how, like, teaching people how to manage pain. Um, it's also super effective for, like, sleep. Um, that's a big one that I do is teach, just teaching people how to sleep and how to fall to sleep and how to fall back to sleep. And um, um, what else? It's used, like, there's hypnobirthing. It's used for, like, women to, to visualize and use breathing techniques for giving birth. Um It's also used like now at end of life for people about helping people kind of clear, forgive, um, you know, be prepared for transitioning in death. Um, A lot of it has to do with like, just um, like bad habits, phobia, phobias, um, weight loss. Like we kind of said um, stress, quitting smoking, um, So it's used for so many things like and for me, I I use it primarily on like emotional issues where people have so much anxiety or panic attacks or again, a lot of it is, is so much about people who feel like they have like a block, some kind of block that they just don't know why they don't know why they keep doing this and they don't know how to get through it. And a lot of people also know what their sort of traumas were, and they know that they have stuff, unresolved stuff from childhood of, like, feeling unworthy or unloved or needing to forgive, that kind of thing. And so that's a lot of what I use it for.
0: So can so, yeah, everybody I, yes, be so hypnotized?
1: Oh, that's a good question. Um, I believe <laughs> that everybody can that be say, hypnotized. I just can't
0: be hypnotized. So can right, everybody absolutely. be hypnotized? Or? Okay.
1: I believe that everybody can be hypnotized, but here's the thing. If but it's not up to me. So if somebody has been told you you can't be hypnotized and they just took that as fact, that's a deep belief that they have in their subconscious and that subconscious is going to win. And so if they if they want to get hypnotized of how to learn how to be hypnotized, that would be that's ironic, but it's kind of like that. It's like they either think that they're too strong-willed or they've done the stage hypnosis and they say that it didn't work or maybe they've tried it with um maybe they've even tried it with somebody who was certified in hypnosis and it sort of didn't work because a lot of people have said that they feel like it didn't work because they they were thinking the whole time going well this isn't working Well, yes, I mean, I tell people that that's, that will happen. That's actually a normal part of the process that your conscious mind is going to jump in and say, um, I'm not sleeping. I know exactly what I'm doing. I'm remembering all of this. I know exactly what's going on here. That then a person will say that it must not be working, but that doesn't mean it's not working. And so if, I mean, it really comes down to. Like I said, if somebody developed a belief that they can't be hypnotized, it's going to be an incredible barrier to getting hypnotized. But I've had a lot of people tell me, "Oh, I can't, I can't do it." But then they want to They're going to pay me and come in and do it. Well, why are you doing it if you say you can't do it? You must believe you, there must be something in you that believes that you can do it. Um, and so that's why I do the two-hour sessions because it takes time. It takes longer for some people than others to actually kind of really get them in that state. And so. A lot of what I do is like relaxation, um, like mental imagery kind of things, and then deepening techniques of kind of getting them into that state and then start doing the work. And then it's kind of like a dream. You know how like when you're dreaming, you don't realize it's a dream until you wake up. It's kind of like that. You're like sort of in it. You don't really think much of it. And then once it's over and you emerge, it's like, oh, my gosh, yes, clearly that was seriously something but I just don't know if like the people who say they can't be hypnotized, if it just enough time wasn't given in a stage hypnosis, they they do the techniques the kind of the relaxation for five minutes. And then here's the other thing, the people on the stage, they raise their hand. They're volunteering to come up there and do that. They're, nobody's, you know, nobody's making them do it. And so they are kind of acting a little bit sometimes. Now, not always, because they also don't really care, but, People will say, like, like, that they didn't believe, like, that they believe they were a chicken. Like, no, you, that's not true. Like, people know that they're not a chicken. Like, this will never, hypnosis will never be used in a way or it's, a person will never go against their own values and their own morals or believe something huh. that isn't true. So you can't tell somebody Hmm. they're a chicken and, and they're acting, they're goofy. You know what, what's happened? They did the relaxation and so kind of their inhibitions are down. So they really don't care and they're just kind of playing along and it's fun. And so, um, I mean, that's my, you know, somebody else might tell you something different and they might say they were up on the stage and they really did believe they were chicken. And I guess I can't argue that I know that I was up on stage and I, was told I was a rock star. And I knew that I was not a rock star. (laughs) I I knew I was just going along with it, though. And it was just fun and playful. But the whole time, I knew exactly what I was doing. And I knew that it was fake. And I knew that I was not a rock star. But I didn't care. That was the thing. It was like, I just didn't, I didn't care. My inhibitions were down. So I was just like, I'll just go along with it for fun. So um, when somebody says, you know, if they, if they can't be hypnotized, it was that maybe they were told that or learned that somewhere lot, or doesn't want to feel get, like it feels scary and they don't want to give up control. So they will say, I can't be hypnotized because they don't even want to, like, even try. Because if they feel like they were to give up control, but the truth is, is nobody ever gives up control to me, not the way that I do it. Maybe in if they used it for whatever bad reasons, I don't even know. But if a person over days and weeks and months of being brainwashed, they feel like maybe they would give up control. But that is not what is happening here and that's not how it's used. The hypnotherapy profession for the most part is a very reputable and respected profession. And they say, you know, kind of seeking somebody who's a mental health professional as well is just a bonus. No. I don't know if I say you have to see somebody who is a mental health professional, but it absolutely does help because I have an incredible training about dealing with trauma if that comes up for somebody. Um, And so where a a hypnotist who doesn't have mental health background might not know how to deal with something really big if it comes up for somebody. Um, So a lot of it is about not wanting to give up control or just saying, I can't be hypnotized because I don't want to even bother I don't want to you know but I think anybody who's ever come to me always has some sort of benefit they have some kind of resolve some sort of um you know um like something happened where there was a positive brain change made that day so I think everybody can be hypnotized but I don't know it all (laughs) so there are probably people who out there who
0: So what do you think the pandemic has done to a lot of people? Because a lot of people are walking out of this pandemic right now and trying to find their land legs. What do you think, or maybe you're seeing it within your practice, has been the trauma from that right now? What do you think the main trauma is that a lot of people are kind of working through because of the pandemic and job loss and job confusion. Which would, would you have a name for that at all, or? Um,
1: I don't have it. So I hear. So my, again, I just want to preface everything that I say. I can't know it all. I only know from my humble perspective of kind of what I've seen and the way that I see it my lens about what the pandemic did was, okay, sure. Did it create some new traumas for people? Yes. But what I see it happening, what happened to me, what, what I've seen is that the pandemic busted open traumas that people already had that were unresolved from when they were younger. So for, right. So like, for example, if somebody had, unresolved whatever from childhood and didn't feel good enough or had anxiety or had depression issues or didn't feel good enough or had rejection. Um, What the pandemic did was it made us slow down so that we couldn't just run and hide from it and just be busy and do this and do that and be just going a million miles an hour to avoid this stuff. It forced us to sit down and be quiet and have nothing to um, block out or nothing to distract us from what our soul I feel like it's our soul trying to communicate with us that this pain you have this pain inside of you but it's being triggered by something outside of you so maybe a lot of what happened a lot of partners started going at each other's throats during the pandemic where they were blaming each other for their own unresolved traumas it wasn't the other person's fault it's just that they were a Mm. huge trigger for your feelings of rejection that you had from your childhood or you feeling not good enough, or whatever the thing was that we developed, again, going back to those faulty beliefs when we were younger, feeling we were not worthy and lovable because of how, like, the environment and the energy that we were in. Now, our parents didn't feel worthy and lovable, so we just picked up on that and thought that was ours. And then we get into a relationship now And that person wants to go spend time with their friends, well, instead of us being like, good, go spend time with your friends, we go,
0: they're
1: leaving me. They don't want to be with me. They're rejecting me. So that's like a codependency. And so for me, I feel like the pandemic, I didn't see tons and tons of brand new, like out of nowhere traumas that happened during the pandemic. I saw that the pandemic lifted the veil for traumas that were unresolved that then the shit hit the fan to make the person have to go in and ask for help. And then from what I worked on with people was this thing that happened to you that came in. So people often come in and it's like, this thing is happening in my life currently, and this is what I need help with. And I always say, when did you feel this way before? when I was younger, and da-da-da-da-da, and it always comes back to sort of an original wound, an original trauma that is just now being triggered and it feels like it's new, but it's just that the circumstance is new, it's the feeling is the same, and it's just our body's way of saying, deal with it, turn towards it, again going back to that kind of Buddhist technique of like, turning towards the feeling, finding where it is in your body, breathing through it like talking to yourself with love and compassion and say, I'm so sorry that you were going through this right now. This is so hard instead of what the hell's wrong with me? Why do I always go through this? What's wrong with these people? You know, so it's the, it's the practice of like turning towards it. I'd love that phrase. You know, you got to feel it to heal it. Like literally feeling the pain in the body instead of our automatic run from it as far as you can get run from that feeling and don't feel it and don't deal with it or change the outside circumstance to make that feeling go away, we can't, we, we're we just chasing our tail doing that. So it's about going inward and feeling that feeling, finding it. Is it in, you know, is it in your chest? Is it in your throat? Is it in your heart? Is it in your stomach? And like breathing through it and, and teaching a person how to have the skills and the confidence to just sit with, and not abandon ourselves during the pain because we have the pain and then we abandon ourselves and we hate it. And we run in another place that we can avoid it from the body is going up into the head. And in the head, we try to figure it out. And we say, well, why do I feel this way and why is this happening and what do I got to do to make it stop? Well, if I do this and if I do that and if maybe if this happens in the future, if that doesn't happen or if I want to done this thing in the past, then I want to be happy. I mean, we, our, the brain is not rational. It's really not when it's trying to solve <laughs> yeah. why do I have pain in my body. It's because you're a human being. There is no cure for the human <laughs> suffering. It's, the, the, it's a treatment of like honoring the human suffering sitting as best as you can with breathing through it and and turning towards it and being compassionate and loving towards yourself Uh, and that's what gets it to kind of dissipate and move up and out
0: yeah I believe that this is a rapid way of getting through because both you and I believe that cognitive therapy although can be very very helpful in some ways it feels like taking um, a jackhammer and cracking through cement. And to me, hypnotherapy uh, can be much more rapid. Uh, It's not a quick fix result, like you said, one time hypnotherapy and then it's all gone. But I believe that what you're doing is helping people access the divine I call it the divine or source that is within them that Absolutely. has accurate intuition knowingness so I think if we put it in those terms for our listeners who are have come to me or know about the mission of the Hope Interface Center and or other fabulous healers and helpers out there is that we're helping people use the power within and not going without. And that statement, you know, if you don't go within, you will go without. So you have to go within, and you're helping those people with blockages, 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 blockages. So, so what they do, how do they stay, because a woman just came in here before I had you on the air, Kelly, and she says, how does one maintain this inner source knowingness that is accurate intuitive knowingness so do you see them coming like we go to a dentist every year or even every six months to get a checkup do people come to you and can they come to you for every six months after let's say they do go through a blockage and can they come for checkups to see, is there anything else blocking me from this divine intuition that has accurate information?
1: Uh, yes. that is. So I do it that way where I would allow somebody to come, you know, as frequent or as infrequently as they want to. Now, other, I know other hypnotherapists, that hyp- hypnotherapist will say, um, you know, and I use the word hypnotherapist and hypnosis sort of interchangeably. I've kind of just, like, I just say hypnotherapy because I am um, licensed as a mental health professional. And so I consider it sort of, you know, um, therapy versus, like, just that stage hypnosis again or quitting smoking or something like that, where to me it's much more dealing with on an emotional level. Um, and so, you know, I the way that I see all of us is really that we have this, we feel like we have to like find ourselves, or like we have to, we've, we like have to heal these broken things. And it's, to me, it's not like I have to find myself because I'm missing. It's that you are always there. You are fundamentally our inherent divine worthiness because we are a part of the cosmos. You are inherently a divine worthy human being. And it is always there, kind of like the sun. But if you are raised in an area where the sun never shines because it's always cloudy, how would you ever understand the concept of the sun? And so what happens to us, I feel like, is we are like this diamond. And then early childhood or sometime, somewhere along the lines, that diamond that sort of just gets covered up with gunk that says, I'm not good enough. I must be unworthy. I must be unlovable. So it's like a cloudy day. Where that sun is always there, but you can't see it or can't access it because we've learned that I'm not good enough. And so, like, What I feel like this does is it helps people not find something that was missing, but it's about unlearning what was not true in the first place. And then that clears a pathway to the diamond. And then you clear another one and you clear the gunk that is not true, which is all the unworthiness, all the shame, all the things that we picked up just being a human being and say, wait, none of that was even true. I am worthy, so now now I feel connected to my diamond. Now I know that it's there. Now I love myself, and now I'm connected. Well, but then isn't also part of the deal is that, like, okay, now we've expanded. But then isn't there going to be, like, you know, then now next something bad happens or something difficult happens or we want more, and now we want the next thing, and now I don't have it, so now I don't feel good enough, and now I feel disconnected, and now I feel like something must be wrong with me, and I must be doing it wrong. And then something happens or our external circumstances change or maybe we have a good day and then we feel good again and we feel connected to ourselves. And so it's like feels like this like, like ping pong back and forth of like, I'm connected. I'm not connected. I'm connected. I'm not connected. And so kind of (laughs) remaining connected. A part of remaining connected is recognizing that we are going to disconnect. And in those times when we are disconnected, having the awareness that we are disconnected and turning towards ourselves with love and compassion in that moment and say, "Ah, I recognize now I feel this awful feeling because I am disconnected from my source. And so, and also our body is literally in a fight or flight stage. So it feels as though we're in sort of a survival mode and I'm scared. And so it, that tricks us into thinking that, you know, something, something's wrong. And so we've got all of our energies are kind of focused externally to try to keep us safe. And so it's about kind of pulling that in slowing down your breathing all the all the tools now we have this we have this huge tool bag of tools of all the things that we've learned of meditating and doing all the things and so yes and that's when it and just getting a glass of water go drink some water and just it's the awareness that you have disconnected from yourself and do something to recognize that and to turn towards yourself with love and compassion in that moment and say I really feel like crap right now I'm so angry of course I'm angry I'm just trying to protect myself of course I'm just trying to protect myself that's okay that I'm doing this and as I love myself and slow down my breathing and go get a drink of water and go outside I now start to or pray and ask for some help as well from the ethers and from our loved ones and and, and our own inner self and just asking myself to help me. I feel disconnected. Help me with reconnecting. And then it's a process to get back and to be reconnected or you're good enough and you've skilled at it, you know, recognizing just being right here right now in the present moment when you bring yourself into the present moment, it's kind of just instantly getting off that wheel of karma, just connecting and just being right here right now again. But it's hard to remember to do these things when we're struggling and when we're having a hard time. But I think we have to remember that the struggle is a part of the growth. And so there's an embracing that kind of shadow. You know, I don't think of the shadow as something bad or evil. I think of the shadow is where we're just lacking light. A shadow is just Once you you shine a light on a shadow, the shadow's gone. And so when we shine Mm -hmm. light on our pain, it dissipates. But it's hard. And if you have really huge emotions that you've never learned how to do this for, this seems like an impossible task. And, And it felt like an impossible task for me as well. But for 20 years doing this work, now I can finally say I can kind of do it I'm better at it. Like, it takes practice. Real true self-growth takes effort and practice, and it's a lifelong thing. It's not something that we're just magically going to arrive. But when you be in the present moment and you recognize that, you've arrived. Just right here, right now, where life is unfolding in the present moment, and we can just sit with that, whether we feel like crap or not, and just sit with it. So how many times do we remember to be present throughout the day? You know, those... People who practice this are better skilled at it, but people who don't know how to do it think, oh, I can't shut my mind off. I don't know how to do it. I don't want to sit with myself. I, so there's, you know, so it's, it's all these things. And so that just reconnecting with the self and how to stay in that place of alignment and connection. I don't know. I've never, I have not learned yet how to stay there. <laughs> I
0: always dip out.
1: Every couple of times a day I definitely dip out. But I can find my way back sooner and 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 quicker and with more ease, that's what has made my life easier.
0: Wow. Well, you're getting better and better at it, Kelly. You've been,
1: you know, you're getting better and better. I've had a good teacher.
0: I've had a really good teacher.
1: (laughs) Well,
0: I'm sure that many of our listeners will want to know more about hypnotherapy. So do you do any consultations for free if they want to consult with you for, like, some people do 15-minute consultations, or do you do consultations at all with clients that are still having might have questions out there?
1: Absolutely, yes. I, um, I, I have openings starting in like about, I usually book out about two weeks out. Um, and so if I start getting super busy, you know, that might be longer. But um, as of right now, just kind of on average, I book out about two, two to three weeks out. Um, I do offer a free 15-minute consultation if a person wants to do like a hypnotherapy package meaning that they just are looking to do, you know, um, three to five sessions of hypnosis about, you know, kind of a particular issue. I also do counseling services. Um, Those are just one-hour talk sessions that I don't need to do a consultation for those. If somebody wants to schedule a counseling session, I would be willing to meet with somebody for the hour, just making sure it's a right fit and kind of seeing if it's... You know, if they want to, if, if it helps, if it's helpful and they want to come back, they can come back and just kind of do um, counseling sessions as they want. Some people do kind of a combination where they'll do a hypnotherapy session and then come back for just a talk session to talk it all through and to really kind of process everything that happened in the hypnotherapy session. But if somebody's wanting just hypnotherapy, I do want to meet them and talk to them first and make sure that it's a right fit and make sure that kind of what they need. I wouldn't just schedule somebody blindly and just kind of have them show up and then tell me what's going on. I, I do want to talk somehow, either a Zoom or a phone call, but I do want to connect with people first if they're wanting hypnotherapy. But if somebody wants counseling, I would do that. And, um, and then we would just discuss and make sure that it would be right to continue or not. Um, yeah, and people can go to my website. Um, I have a website called hypnotherapywithkelly.com. Sometimes I regret having such a long name, but it's H-Y-P-N-O-T-H-E-R-A-P-Y with Kelly, Hypnotherapy with Kelly. Um, I have an email, kelly at hypnotherapywithkelly.com. They can call or text. My phone number is 507-291-8444. I am located in New Ulm, Minnesota. and at the Wellness Collective in New Ulm. It's an amazing little place, um, little just hidden nook in of just wellness. Um, There's a a ton of wonderful women here who um, just have their own business. There's massage and acupuncture, um, Reiki, there's sound healing, there's um, yoga. So a lot of things are offered here. And so I do want hypnotherapy sessions in person. in my office in New Ulm, and so I know sometimes, you know, depending on distance and whatnot can be a barrier. I do do counseling sessions over Zoom, but I won't do hypnotherapy sessions over Zoom. Some hypnotherapists or people who do hypnosis will do them over Zoom, um, and I think it can be fairly effective, and so it's a way to kind of just access a practitioner, but I do not do that. Um, I just don't. I just need to be. I just want to be with the person. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's so that's my information.
0: Okay, okay, other okay. questions. Or? Well, no, I think we are uh, filled with a lot of information to all ponder and think about. I would encourage all of you who are listening to this that if you have never tried hypnotherapy and if you've been even a little bit scared about trying hypnotherapy you know, uh, I will never, ever send you to someone who is not filled with integrity and is really a light worker here upon the planet and bringing you into alignment with your own divine. As Kelly says, inherent divine grace, the truth of who you are. I think we need that more so than ever before. So I would tell you and encourage you to check out Kelly and her website and call her up and get a consult and begin this amazing journey of connecting with your true Uh, inherent worth um, as we walk through this period of time of great change together. So I just want to thank you, Kelly, for being on the air with me today. And uh, it's been a joy um, over all of these years. It's been a joy having you on the Pure Hope Show. And so I just want to thank you, thank you, thank you from the bottom of my heart for being on the program today.
1: Oh, thank you so much for having me. It was an honor. You you know how much I respect you and everything that you do. And I think... People who listen to you, um, hopefully if this resonates with you or you feel called or if this feels like this might be just another kind of technique or tool to help you on your journey, I would be happy to talk with you about it. So, yes, thank you for having me.
0: Oh, it's great. It's great. Until we meet again, everyone, I appreciate you being our listeners on the Pure Hope Show. We've been doing this now for at least 13 years, perhaps even more. And so I appreciate all of you who are listening to our program today, and I wish you well. Namaste, namaste, namaste.
1: Thank you for tuning in to Pure Hope by Reverend Janice Hope Gorman. And until next time, remember that true greatness consists in being
0: great in the little things. Be kind. Be gentle. Be loving. Be true.